Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews, but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. join me in prayer. God, I thank you for this wonderful day, and I thank you for your word, that we are able to freely study it. I pray that you will show us the importance of this scripture and how it relates to our walk in Christ, but also in how we live with one another. I pray that you will give us perseverance just like you did with the church at Philadelphia. That even through tribulations and trials, that we may stand firm in you. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to listen to what Bart has for us today. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, good morning church. Can we clap to King Jesus today? I'm so glad you are here. I wanna welcome you. Uh, my name is Bart Howell. I'm the lead pastor here at EBC, and uh, we planted uh, this church. My wife and I hope uh, we planted this church 23 years ago and uh, met so many of you are brand new. I want to welcome you. I want to just say how grateful we are that you are here with us today to worship. And uh, we're a growing church, and we're a young church and a live church. And I was uh, standing back here a little bit earlier, and I noticed this in the first service this morning. And I was standing there, and I was looking at our worship team from uh, backstage, and I was noticing that nearly half of them were under the age of 20. And, and then I started looking at the other ones. That's awesome, right? Started looking at the other ones and I realized, I think I'm the oldest one on this stage now. When and where did that happen? But uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love that. You can clap for that. That's neat. Yep. Uh, but I, I love this, that we are a young church and we're a growing church. And I want to welcome you here today. We're in a series that is called Letters. And what we've been looking at is uh, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there with us today. And uh, we are on the sixth of seven letters, messages that Jesus Christ gave through the Apostle John to each of these churches that were a family of churches 
in an area in, uh, in what was the Roman province of Asia. It would be modern-day Turkey, uh, in that kind of on that Aegean coastline. There was a family of churches that were there, and Jesus had special messages for each one of them. And what we've been doing in this series is we've, we've been learning not only what Jesus had to say to them, we've been learning a little bit about the history of some of the churches, some of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the ruins that are still there today. We've been learning some of the cultural things that would apply to them, that Jesus would speak to them, and how some of the words that he would say would actually, they would mean something to them in that day. And then what we've been trying to do is, is discover for ourselves 2,000 years later in a different culture on a completely different continent, trying to learn what the Lord would say to us in that process. And so uh, we, we are in the, the city of Philadelphia. And let me say, Dallas Cowboy fans, no wincing, okay? We know it's a rivalry, but it's not that Philly. It's not uh, the place where, where Philly, Philly cheesesteaks were born. Uh, that looks good, right? It's, it's not where uh, the Fresh Prince is from, if you're wondering about that. It's not that Philly. It's not the Philly where the, the Liberty Bell is or, or where uh, even Rocky Balboa ascended the, uh, the steps of the Museum of Art there. That's, it's not that Philly. What we're talking about is the original Philadelphia, the original Philadelphia. And uh, I want you to know what they were known for. They were, they, this particular area, when you think of wine country, what do you think of when you think of wine country? How many of you would say Napa Valley, you, that's what you think of? Raise your hands, anybody? How many of you, you think of Italy when you think of wine country? Maybe some of you have been there, experienced that. How many would say Grapevine, Texas? Anybody think about Grapevine? What? Okay. okay. Well, there are some vineyards there. Those are great vineyards that are there in Grapevine. Anybody think of Saginaw? Saginaw, Texas. We're known as wine country. Some of you would be like, no, but we got lots of liquor stores, Pastor Bart. And, uh, and, 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 and some of you are familiar with that, right? And so in this particular area, if you were to drive through this part of Turkey today, this is what you would find today and what you would have found back then. Uh, just they were known as a wine country. The vineyards there were, are, are everywhere. And the grapes are so incredibly luscious. And, and they are known for their wine and for raisins. And the soil in that area and the climate was and is perfect because of the volcanic activity and the ash that would come. And, and it was just like a perfect place for, for them to be able to grow grapes. Now, again, each of the weeks what we've been doing is kind of looking at each of these churches and the cities uh, where these churches were existing within them and learning some things about them. And what we found is that the ruins of many of these places like Ephesus and Pergamum where that great Acropolis was that's up on the mountain, still there. We've been kind of giving you a bit of a drone flyover to where you see some of these things. And the ruins there are just incredible. But but not so much in Philadelphia. In fact, this is about all you would find of something that would be ancient. It's not even called Philadelphia, but you have this, this image that we have. We'll bring that image up. Uh, we got this image of this is a, a church from around the 5th or 6th century, somewhere in there. And you can see what's right in the middle of that is an Islamic mosque. And, uh, and, and, and as Islam moved into this area uh, during a period that uh, and and you can you you should know that Philadelphia was actually a church that uh, was around longer than any of the other churches. They they remained steadfast for around twelve hundred years. I would be thrilled if EBC was still going strong twelve hundred years later. Right, that generation after generation after generation, there was something that was going on with these believers in Philadelphia where they were so faithful in spite of the persecution and the difficulty. And, uh, and so this, this is what we know about that particular church there, uh, that they were really steadfast in their faith. And there, there at one point wasn't even very many of them, as we'll talk about this in a minute. Now that region is known for their devastating earthquakes. And in 17 AD, there was an earthquake that happened that really just demolished many of the cities in that area where, where many people died, but also just the buildings were wiped out, and it devastated the city of Philadelphia at one point. And 
they, they, would, they would try to rebuild. There would be tremors and aftershocks that would knock their stuff back down. Many of the people, instead of going back and wanting to live in the city because so many had died from that, would just live uh, in, the, in the vineyards. And they would live out there and build their homes out in that area to live in and exist in this area meant you were living in a place where there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of instability. There was a lot of uh, the ground moving literally underneath your feet. Nothing ever seemed stable. Has life ever felt like that for you? Where it's like there's just kind of chaos and it feels like your world maybe gets turned upside down and Maybe you're in a place like that today where you can kind of relate to the uncertainty or the instability. And this city of Philadelphia, many of you probably know what that means, but it is the city of brotherly love. Many of, many of you know that and also called brotherly shove in certain places as well. But, but this is the original Philadelphia. Those are a couple of Greek words, and it means... Brother love. It's a brotherly type love. And this city was named Philadelphia at one point because there was a king uh, named Eumenes who, who was over this area. And he had a younger brother that he loved very much. Named, uh, his, his name was, his name escapes me, uh, Attalus was his name. And Attalus was incredibly loyal to his older brother at one point, and his brother to bless him, put him as a ruler over this particular city. And so the city was known as, a, as, as the place where one brother had loved another brother in that kind of manner. And so here's what's interesting. They changed the name to Philadelphia from something that it was prior to that. There are earthquakes that are happening all the time. Names are changing because because after uh, what would happen, it was an earthquake happened uh, in that 17 AD, and then there was a, a Caesar that came in, and instead of making that region pay taxes to them, uh, he gave them a five-year exemption and he even helped them rebuild in that area. So they named, renamed the city from Philadelphia, they named it to Neo-Caesarea. And that was to honor, kind of suck up to the, uh, the particular Roman emperor at that time. But when that Roman emperor, Tiberius, when he died, they changed the name back to Philadelphia. The name was changing. The, the ground was shifting. In fact, the name changed multiple times. There was another emperor who helped them with something. So they named it Fl Flavia, not Flavia Flav with a clock, okay. They named it Flavia. And Flavia was the name of the emperor's wife. And, uh, and, and later, uh, when, when they died, they changed it back to Philadelphia. What I'm trying to tell you is that nothing was stable there. Names were changing. The ground was shifting. Um, the only consistency they had was their grape vineyards. That was where they made their money. That was how they got their sense of stability. They could count on that cash. They could count on those you know, the wine to be produced there and the raisins to be made, you know, as they dried the wine, uh, the, uh, the grapes out. But here was, a, here was another thing that happened to them. There was another Roman emperor uh, in about 90 to 100 A.D. that was, his name is Domitian. He was brutal towards Christians, by the way. But he was also just brutal to a lot of people. He forced the people of this region to uproot 50% of their vineyards. Forced them to do this, to uproot 50% of their vineyards. Remember, that was their main source of income. That was their stability, the only stability they felt like they had. And instead of, 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 of uh, letting them have the exemption there, they were supposed to destroy 50% of their vineyards. And they, they said that he did this for a couple of reasons. One, to feed his armies that were moving through that area. And, and uh, because they were supposed to replant wheat there and uh, to have grain. And, but here's the problem. That was not a climate that was conducive to the growth of, of those kinds of crops. It was made for, for, for wine and for grapes and raisins. That's what that area was known for. The other reason was it was a direct competitor with, remember, another wine country, Italy. And so Domitian was like, we'll just take out our top competitor in this area. And so once again, the thing you were clinging to for stability was taken away from you. 
earthquakes, name changes, instability, where you had real earthquakes that were happening, you also now had a financial earthquake. It's like the rug was constantly getting yanked out from under these people. It was, it was hard to be a person that was living in this area. It was hard on them, you know, and, and living there was unstable. And, and, and here is what you should know. It was hard on everybody there, but it was especially hard to be a Christian who was living there. Because you are going to feel pressure from everybody if you profess that Jesus Christ was your Lord and Savior. The Christians were not only under pressure from the Romans that were over that particular area and you were supposed to bow to Caesar as your Lord to say these three words would get you killed. Jesus is Lord. That would get you eliminated, annihilated. But they were also facing pressure from from Jews that had relocated to that area. Many of them had relocated there. There was a large Jewish population that was there. And they were facing pressure from them as well. Uh, in fact, there was a large Jewish center there in Sardis that we saw this image last week. It's a synagogue. Uh, it's one of the largest ruins of a synagogue anywhere in the world, even, even more so even than in Israel. So there was a large Jewish population because they had, been, they had been exported out during the Persian Empire and many of them were moved to this area. And so here is what the Romans viewed Christianity as. They viewed it as another branch of Judaism and the Jews said, they're not part of us. Oh no, they profess this guy named Jesus is Lord. And we don't believe in Jesus but they had a synagogue that was there. Many of these people who became Christians had been Jewish at one point. Not all of them, but many of them were. So they were a part of the synagogue. It was a part of their everyday life. It was a part of their community. It was, many of them had family members that were still Jewish. And when you put your faith in Jesus, here's what's going on. Also, your name had been on a roll of that Jewish synagogue and what this provided you was an exemption from having to say that Caesar is Lord. They get, Caesar gave the Jews a bit of a pass in this. I think he just didn't want to deal with it. He didn't want to deal with the rebellion with them. So he knew the monotheism that they had there, so he didn't force this with them. But here is the thing. Once the Jews said, they are not a part of us, you're not on the roll anymore. So whenever the Romans would come to town... And they would see who would be on that roll. They would be certain you're paying taxes. They would be certain that you are also, they would be certain that you are also acknowledging that Caesar is Lord, not Jesus is Lord. To say Jesus is Lord would get you in big trouble. So they're, they're getting doors closed in their face everywhere they go. They're getting, they're getting doors slammed on them. The, the Jews who were a part of this, that they, many of them had been a part of that, they slammed the, the door in their face. And, and here's what you're finding in the city of brotherly love. Everyone's getting love except for the Christians. Everyone's experiencing community except for those that would be Christ followers were being pushed, pushed to the margins now. Squeezed by Rome and by the Jews, you were caught in the middle. So everyone's receiving love. And what we see in this passage today is that we see not only that these Christians in Philadelphia were suffering and facing hardship, what we're going to see and what you saw in the passage that Michael read is we're going to see that not only were they suffering, but they were suffering well. They were doing something that would capture the attention of Jesus. How did they do this? How did they handle their suffering? How did they handle all of the instability, right? It was already hard just being a person that lived there. How did they handle the poor treatment from other people? How did they get through this? How did they do whenever the times that they were living in were so unstable? And maybe you're in a place in your life today where things feel unstable. Maybe you're struggling with an instability at your job. Or maybe you look at the economy today and you're worried about your job. I mean, people are getting laid off. We're reading about it 
every day. Or maybe there's an instability that's in a relationship that you're in, right? And you're, you're, you're struggling with that kind of family dynamic right now where things feel unstable, things feel uncertain. It, it can begin to cause us to worry. How do you handle that? How do you handle it whenever... Maybe there's a health issue that you just found out about and things feel uncertain. How do you deal with this when you go through times like that? Is it actually possible? Is it possible to be stable in the middle of a world that sometimes feels like it's on the verge of falling apart? Is that something that could actually happen for you? Is it something that can happen for me? What do we learn from these Christians here in Philadelphia that happened a couple thousand years ago, but does it resonate for us today? What do you think? What can we learn from them? I want you to see that Jesus pays. This is really important. He pays special attention to these believers who were living in this city of Philadelphia in the midst of all of this instability. I want you to know this, that we've been learning that Jesus has a pattern with each of these churches. What have we learned? He will, starting with Ephesus, through all of these, he will, he will establish himself for who he is, specifically relating to whatever situation that church is finding themselves dealing with. He will give them a word about his, about his person and what, how that relates to their situation. Many times he will give a correction, right? Or a, 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 a commendation, I should say. And then he gives a correction. That's the pattern. He gives a commendation. This is what you're doing right. And then the correction. And then for a lot of them, he will get into, now here is the promise. This is what you do with this now. Now here's what I want you to hear today, okay? Philadelphia is one of two churches where they don't receive any correction whatsoever. I want you to think about this, okay? I want you to think about this with me. Do you, do you feel like the people in Philadelphia just perfectly had it all together? There weren't any problems there? Do you think their church was perfect? What do you think? I think we know better. Because churches are made up of people. People are broken. We are, right? We're all broken. Because churches are made of people, it means that churches are broken. It means there's not anybody perfect that is in here, but what I see in this passage and what I want you to hear today is Jesus, in this specific moment, didn't feel the need to bring a correction to this group of people. I'm sure he could have found something to correct, but in his perfect timing, he knew what they needed more than anything else. Do you know what he was going to give them that day? Encouragement. He, he was going to encourage them. Because they were suffering. They were suffering in a big way. And what he's going to say to them, in essence, in the middle of the hardship is, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't, don't quit. Stay the course. Some of you are ready to throw the towel in. I imagine they were, right? But here is what Jesus is see seeing in them and saying to them. And it's the same thing he would want to speak into our church today filled with people, with problems and with brokenness in all of our lives. Here's what we know. They were suffering, but they were suffering well. And it got Jesus' attention. And as a result of their suffering well, their light was shining in a, in a culture where there was a lot of instability. Their light was, was bright, like Jesus had called them to be in a place where the culture was dark. The, the, the things happening were were probably causing much anxiety for a lot of people. This is a principle that we have to reckon with here today, and here's what it is. You ready? Everyone suffers. Everyone suffers, but not everyone suffers well. We're all going to go through something. There's some of you that are going through something this morning, or you've been through something, but the reality is if you haven't, or you're not now, and I, I don't mean this to be a downer for you today, but here's just the truth, you will. We're all going to go through some kind of difficulty. It's the, it's the result and the consequence of a world that is broken because of sin. 
And, uh, and I was, as I was getting this ready this week, I was just really praying that for some of you that I know are going through difficulties, some of you I have no idea what you're going through, what I really prayed this week is the encouragement from the Spirit of God you would receive today. And I want you to know this, especially if, if you're new. I want you to get this. I never want to be the kind of pastor that's preaching at you like to buck up, you know, pull yourself. But here's the way I view it always whenever I preach. I view it like this. I'm preaching to myself every week. I'm, I'm sitting here with you. I want you to know that today. That this is a message I preach to myself. Each of these churches, I feel each of these churches, what Jesus says to them, is something for me that it's, it's also something for each of you today. So please don't, I don't want you to receive this as pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not what it is here but there is something to an encouragement that he says to each of us today. There's a tenderness that I want you to hear from Jesus. I started thinking about myself whenever I go through a hardship. What's my MO? I started really having to assess. What's your MO whenever adversity hits you? Because it hits all of us. What's your MO? For some, you don't have to raise your hands on this, okay? It may be complaining. You go straight to the place of complaining and just complaining and complaining. You lose all sight of any kind of gratitude. I mean, it's easy. I, I struggle with that one. This is one I really struggle with. Worry. Whenever it hits and I start, just my mind starts racing and sometimes I can lose sleep. Anybody struggle with that one, right? I said you didn't have to raise your hand, but don't leave me hanging, right? Um, we struggle. With it. What, what's, your, what's your struggle with this? Some of you, maybe it's just... You're at a place where it's hard right now, and you are so close, so close to giving up, walking away. And I don't even know what that means for some of you. Or do you press in closer to Jesus? I'm not saying that you, you fake it till you make it. I'm not saying you put on the fake smile. That is the last thing we want to be or do or be about here at EBC. We value authenticity. We value the ability to be real about what we're feeling and, and, and to be healthy in that way. But I want us to see something today. That there is something that these people did within this that captured the attention of Jesus. And, and, and it endears him to his heart it endears them to his heart, and he encourages them in this. And, and, and you know, and, and it, it, here's something that another pastor that I respect, who, he said this, and I thought there's so much truth in this, is that difficulty for many of us, his pastor's name is Jeff Mannion, he said this, he said, difficulty and adversity and hardship and suffering for some can be a greenhouse for growth and also the same stuff can also be a place where many, their faith goes to die. You know what I'm talking about, right? And it could be that's where some of you are today and you're in the midst of this and where, where there's some kind of earthquake that is happening in your life and it's rocking your world right now and the circumstantial earthquake and, and, and what we know is that, and I've seen it so many times, I've, I've watched it, I've observed it as a pastor that's been in the ministry for, vocational ministry for 30 plus years now, where you can watch two people go through similar circumstances and have completely different responses to those circumstances. You can see some who will, will, who will go through a situation and a hardship and, and they will become incredibly angry and grow. The anger will grow to bitterness and can even lead to disillusionment. Now, please hear me. We believe in being uh, holistically healthy, which means we all need to understand that grief is real. We don't dismiss grief. We don't. Part of grief is anger. It's anger. But here is what anger can turn into if it's not processed well can turn into bitterness. Bitterness that ruins our lives and ruins the lives of the people that are in our lives that we love the most. And we, we, with our disappointments, we can get disillusioned. And there are some who will go through this and will get angry. And then there are some that it seems like, now here's what they would say. They would say, there is no way I would ever want to go through that again. There is no way I would ever um, wish this on my worst enemy or the person that I struggle with. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. 
And I don't want to go through it again, but here's what I know. And I don't want to fake it either or pretend like it was easy. It was the hardest time in my life. But when I look back, there was something that I see that God did within me. That there was some sweet times of fellowship too. I'm not saying that's for every person. I'm just saying there's some that would say, I wouldn't even trade that because there was, a, there was something that God did within me that fortified my faith within him. And it's, it's two different kinds of people that respond in different ways. One, one, will, one can get bitter, and I've seen that, and one will struggle, but they refuse bitterness. What's going on within this? How, how do you suffer well? Well, this is something, there's something that it boils down to. And I don't mean to oversimplify, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to dismiss any kind of struggle you're in. Because I don't know what you're going through, but I know at some point with every person, because I've seen it, there's a choice that is made. Somewhere within here, there is a choice. Look back to the words of Jesus, and he says this, and whenever I look at these, you gotta, you got to know that the instability they were facing, earthquakes, name changes, instability there, being a Christian, they lost jobs, vines, their vineyards were uprooted, many of them lost family members because they were, they were persecuted and martyred and killed. Many of them had experienced deep, deep loss. They were real people. Please, please don't forget that. I know they were 2,000 years ago, but they were real. And so what I know is this means that this can be real for us. I envision them, when I read passages like this, this is what I try to do. I try to envision myself sitting in this church. They wouldn't have been in a big building like this. They would have been in smaller circles. There weren't a lot of them in this city they would have been in a place probably wondering if someone was going to bust in and, and, you know, and they would have been sitting there. Maybe they were cold. Maybe they were in rags because they were in financial ruin. They would have been sitting there and they'd been worshiping the Lord. Some of them maybe were very discouraged. Some of them were wondering if they should walk away. They hadn't yet, but they were wondering. And I wondered whenever this letter was read to them in that small circle, the looks on their faces. The tears streamed down some of their eyes because it was like a perfect message from Jesus in a perfect moment. Jesus says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close what he closes. No one can open Will you say the next part with me out loud? And what does he say? I know all the things that you do. They're sitting there and perhaps they're discouraged. Perhaps they're wondering if anybody notices us anymore. We've had so many people that have rejected us and don't care about us, that don't love us anymore. And this is what we see. He says, I see what you're doing. The word is, I know your works. I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. This is what I want you to take from this, is that Jesus cares about you today. He sees you today. He notices your faithfulness. Faithfulness grabs his attention in the hardship. When, when, you, when you not only suffer, but, but you, you suffer well, and he says, I see what you're doing. I see how you keep staying faithful. I see that whenever they tried to get you to deny me, you wouldn't deny me. You could have walked away, but you didn't. You stuck it out and you serve faithfully. And, and this week as I was thinking about some application for this and what it might mean, I just felt like there was some, some, some folks that need to hear this today. Maybe you, you feel like you've been forgotten. Maybe you feel like what you do for the Lord is not noticed. I've been in a life group, serving as a life group leader, maybe some of you, and it's like I try and, and, and people don't show up and, and, and I'm just, I don't know what to do and I just feel like quitting. Or maybe it's a support group that you're leading 
you know, that you're ministering to people who have lost loved ones in grief share or those that are going through brokenness in a marriage and divorce care or in, in the ministry, the great ministry, Embrace Grace, where, you, where you're coming around and you're loving these, these young women who made a choice to not abort their child but to give birth, these single moms, and you're trying to love. And sometimes it feels like you wonder if you're making a difference. It might be some of you that are, you're a pastor, maybe a young pastor, and you're just struggling with your call, and you're wondering, you know, is it worth it? Some of you, it could be you serve in some place within the church, and you don't think anybody ever notices or appreciates, you know, parking team on a cold day, nobody cares, or when it's raining, or you wonder when you're working with kids in the kids' ministry, or you're holding babies, or you're or you're ministering to teenagers, man, you think they're not listening. Nobody cares. Nobody sees. What I want you to hear today is that Jesus sees you, and he cares. In your discouragement, he cares, and he calls for faithfulness. Maybe it's, you know, the, the ministry that nobody sees. You're up here making certain that meals go out on Meals on Wheels for elderly, and you're wondering if anybody notices, and you don't do it for that reason, but you're just wondering. Jesus is saying, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see what you do with the Operation Christmas Child box. I see your works. I see your faithfulness. And you know, sometimes when we serve and we give of ourselves and we stay faithful in difficulty, sometimes we don't get a lot of gratitude. But this is what I'm wanting you to hear today. Right here is where you get it. Jesus says, I see you. He pays attention. He cares. He notices your faithfulness. And he knows that you have been faithful in spite of the fact that you're going through one of the hardest seasons of your life. Jesus cares for these believers in Philadelphia. They needed a tender word from him. He could have corrected them for something, but he didn't. He just said, they just need some encouragement. Those of you who are parents, if you're a good parent, you know that there are things you need to correct in your kids, but you know much of it is all about timing, right? Especially if they've gone off to school and maybe emotionally have gotten beaten up. And you know, you just know what they need. You know what they need to hear at that moment. You've got to correct them at some point, but right now they need encouragement. Right now they need to know they're loved. Right now they need a word from mom and dad that, that, that you see them. Question, is it possible that, that we as believers, our light might shine brightest and we might actually be at our best as a witness for Jesus when life is at its worst? I'm not wishing that on us. I'm just saying, could it be that some of us, as we suffer well, that those are the moments where others notice something that is different about you in your faith. They notice that you don't respond like the rest of the world responds in bitterness. And, and you know, they, they see that there's actually some kind of peace that is in you that creates some kind of hunger within them. Somewhere within this, there is a choice. And there's some of you, you're at this crossroad of bitterness or faithfulness. Bitterness or pressing into Jesus. And I just believe Jesus has tenderness for those who are faithful. But I also believe this, that there's a tenderness that he has for those of you who are maybe on the precipice of, you're about to walk away. Because I just know that that is the character of our Savior. That he loves you. And that he wants you to know that today. And some, if you find yourself barely in this place of hanging on, listen to these words of Jesus. He says this, I know your works, but listen to this, what he says. And I, I have opened doors. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength. This word strength um, it's a word that we get for dynamite, it's dunamis, it's this word. It's not that they had little faith. Here's what he's saying. They didn't have much clout in this city because they were Christians. They didn't have a lot of political clout. But what he's saying is you don't have, you, you know, you, you have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and you did not, what does he say? He commends them. You didn't deny me. That's my name. You didn't, you didn't deny that you were a believer. In fact, when it got hard, you proudly said, I follow Jesus, not Caesar. And then he says some words, look, I will force those who belong 
to Satan's synagogue. This is not anti-Semitic, okay? Jesus was Jewish. John the Apostle was Jewish. By the way, that's a terrible name for a church, the, Sa the Satan synagogue. That's not good, right? We don't want your church, our churches to be named this. But here's what he's saying. There are some who say they follow God in name. And these Jews particularly, Jesus would have confrontations in the Gospels with those who, who you know, the, were the religious leaders. And they would, they would just, you know, be ugly to him. And Jesus would say, they would be like, we're sons of Abraham, you know. And he would be like, well, unless you're following me as a Messiah, you're, you're really, you're, you're a son of the devil. Here's what he'd say. I mean, he would say, your father is Satan. He would say these kinds of things, okay. Here's what he's saying is, those liars who say they are Jews but are not. And here's what he's saying, I will, I will make them come to bow down at your feet and they will acknowledge that you are the ones, I want you to see this, the ones that I, what does he say? Love. That's what they needed to hear. I want you to know that you're loved. Where, where, what he's saying here is they will acknowledge that he is the Messiah. They will, in essence, at some point say, we were wrong. We were wrong. This is a big point for us today. Jesus says, I'm holy. He's, he's otherly, set apart. I'm true. I'm not a false God. I'm the one. Remember, he says about who he is in the situation, and I hold the keys of David. What he is saying is, I am the Messiah of this world, not just Israel. The Messiah of this world, the one true God. I'm not the marginalized carpenter or son of a carpenter from Nazareth. This is who I am, right? That was me and my humanity. But this is who I am. I am the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. And what he's saying is, I hold the keys. I have the keys that grant access to the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to hear today. Okay, Jesus controls, this is a testimony of his sovereignty, his sovereignty. Jesus controls what doors open and close for you, my friends, and for me. This is a reference to a scripture in Isaiah. The key, it speaks of access to the king in, the, in palaces like that. There would be uh, someone who would be the master of the palace. And the master of the palace would kind of filter out who would have access to talk to the king. And, and, that, and, he would, and, 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 and so here's what he's saying is, I have the keys that gives, you, that gives you access. I am the one that opens the door for you to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And here's what he's saying, and nobody can tell that away from you. Nobody can, can rip that from your hands. You could have denied me. You could have walked away, but you didn't. And I know that the synagogue has slammed the door in your face. I know for some of you, your wife or your husband has slammed the door in your face. That's what he's saying. Some of your family members, you've lost your businesses. People won't do business with you. You keep getting rejected because you follow me. And doors are being slammed in your face. And here's what he's saying. But I open the door that really matters. It's the door to the kingdom of heaven. And where you have been rejected by this world and rejected by so many others, believer, this is what they were needing to hear. You have been welcomed to me, the one that matters the most. You have been welcomed and accepted. And there's not anything that anybody can do to change that. This speaks of his sovereignty. Other doors maybe. Maybe you're being closed to you right now and you're struggling with some of those doors that are closing. Jesus is saying, my door is always open to you. You are welcome here. You're welcome in my family. I, I paid the price so that you could be in my family where they had been worshiping gods and sacrificing to appease all those false gods. Here's what he's saying. I'm the one who came as God and sacrificed myself for you so that you could be with me forever. This is what he is saying to them, and I wonder what it did for them as they were suffering. I wondered as they felt rejected by their city, what this did for them as they felt marginalized at just the right time in God's perfect timing. And for some of you, it's God's perfect timing today because what you needed to hear is that Jesus holds the keys and opens the doors in your life. He holds the keys Maybe today it's God's perfect timing that you receive that word from him today. 
Maybe there's a door that's been shut in your face and you feel rejected. Maybe it's in a marriage or in a job or a health situation or something going on with one of your kids or child, and you're struggling with this. And he's saying, I hold the keys. Now, now here's what he's going to say. Look at verse 10. Because you have obeyed my command, because you have obeyed my command to, what's the word? Persevere. This word means patient endurance. It means that you keep going even when you don't feel like it, it right? You, you continue to press through. It's like running this marathon of your life. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Look, there's a lot of interpretations about this and a lot of speculation about this verse. There are some that believe this has to do with what is called the Great Tribulation. That's a seven-year period, and it could. Um, it could be that. There are also others that believe this. Scholars believe it was directly related to some other great persecution of that time during that Roman Empire. It could be both. It could be. I don't want to argue that. Here is the big point. The big takeaway is this. Regardless of where you stand in this, here is the essential Jesus is emphasizing. Are you ready? Here's what it is. I am coming soon. That's about his second coming. I'm coming again. The word is suddenly. It's quickly. It's stay prepared. Stay engaged. Keep watching. Be prepared. But the time is coming when I come and it will shock the world. And I'm not coming in humility. I'm coming in mighty power, and every eye will see, right? Not obscurity, but in, in a public nature. And so here's what he says. And this is his one thing he gives them. He encourages them. He loves on them. It's like he wraps his arms around them. And this is the one thing he commands them to do. Are you ready? Here's what it says. Hold on to what you have. You know what that means? Hang in. That's what it means. He's saying, hang in there. Don't throw in the towel. I know it's hard right now. That's the one imperative. And then he says, so that no one will take away your crown. This isn't speaking of anyone taking away your salvation. In this, in this area, they would have these Olympic-type games and, and, uh, and a crown. They would have known this. This crown would have been like when we saw the uh, Olympics in Athens, where they would get their medal when they would win. And then they would also be on that podium, right? And they would get this crown that would be put, placed upon them. And this crown that he's talking about, here's what it is. It's a reward for faithfulness. It's a reward for this, right? And, 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 and those who had finished, who had run their race and completed it well. And what he's saying is, he's not saying that's contingent upon your salvation. That's been handled by Jesus, amen, right? This is... The reward that you will experience for your faithfulness one day that, that my words can't even articulate what that means and all that that will be. But here is what he in essence is saying to them. In order to have contentment in a place where it's difficult right now, you have to loosen your love for what we love in this world right now. And, and the way that it begins to shift your heart is to know that this is very temporal in comparison to what Jesus did for you to be with him throughout eternity. This is a small season. It is hard. It's not easy. But it's nothing in comparison to the access through the door that you have through Jesus Christ. So here's what he's calling you to do today in response. Jesus calls you and he calls me in the middle of whatever hardship it is, to hold on until he comes again. And to live your life in such a manner that is worthy of the calling and the love that he is, you know, the grace that he has, ex has expressed to you. He, he's, he's saying here, don't let the spirit, your spirit sour in the hard times like the world does. Don't let that happen. Don't let yourself get embittered. Don't let that happen. Hold on to me when everything is unstable and I will be your, your stability. I'll be that for you. And, and I just really this week, I, I was really praying for you this week. I was praying for so many of you that I know what you're going through and the hardship you're facing. And many of you I have no idea because our church is bigger now and I don't know all the things. But I was still praying for you this week. And I, I want you to look here. This is what I believe a word from the Lord to you is. Hang on. 
don't give up. Come to him and hang on today. All who are victorious, he says, will become pillars in the temple of my God. Pillars in the temple of my God, they will never have to leave it. Remember, many of them didn't want to stand around those buildings. They'll never have to leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. That will be your permanent home, not this world that is so jacked up. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. When they heard pillars, this is what they knew. If you, if you go to that area, this is what you see in those areas today. You know the only things that stand in the midst of all the earthquakes and make it throughout the years? The pillars. The pillars. And at the, each of those pillars at the top, there would be a name of a famous warrior or someone who was big in their community, who was known and famous and honored Here's what he's saying. You will be one of these pillars. You're a pillar in the, in the, in the you're a citizen of heaven. This is not your home. And, and my name, God says, my name will be on you, pillar. On you. Now that's you as a pillar one day, but I started thinking about many of you and the way that some of you have suffered, and some of you have suffered so well. And I thought to myself, you know what? Many of you are already pillars. You're a pillar in this community. You're a pillar in this church. You're a pillar in your family. Because there is something about a person who goes through hardship. They don't pretend. It's just real. They go through stuff. But the light doesn't get snuffed out. For some of you, it's when it burns brightest. And then he says, in the end, he says, all those who have ears to hear, he says. What does he say? Anyone with it? What does he say? Listen. Sometimes the suffering can be so hard and so many distractions. If we're real, it's hard to hear his voice. But what he's saying is, slow down before me. Listen. Listen to me. Listen and understand. Understand today. I love you. I see you. Hang on. Can we pray together? There's some of you today that you're going through a very difficult time. And we do not minimize that. We want to be a church that comes around you and loves you and supports you. You need people. You need to be able to be real. You need to be able to grieve when you need to grieve. We want you to be healthy. Some of you today, you, you could use some prayer. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or anything like that. But if today you are struggling and you feel like this was just a word that you need today, I'd be, I'd be honored to be able to just pray for you today. Today, if you're going through a difficult season and you would just say, Pastor Bart, that's me. Please just let's give folks privacy today. Would you just lift your hand and just say, would you pray for me today, Pastor Bart? It's a tough time in my life right now. It's tough right now. I don't want to pretend. I just want to be real. I want to be real before the Lord. I don't want to get bitter. I, I, I want to just pray. Just lift your hands up this morning. I want to pray for you right now. A number of hands. Many in the first service too. Let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are our comforter. And I know, Lord, that you love these who are here today. You love these who maybe they don't even have the power to lift their hand before you. Some of them are suffering. Lord, May they sense your love, your attention. May they hear your voice. May you give them the strength through the power of your Holy Spirit to hold on in this time that is unstable. Encourage their spirits today. Lord, give them community around them to hold them up when they feel weak. Give them hope. Father God, make them pillars to stand firm in the earthquakes of their life. May you give them the strength to be able to finish their race well, that they may stand before you with that crown on their head and hear you say, well done, my faithful servant. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, your attention, your care. It's in your good and powerful name we pray. Amen.